13. We're going to uh, continue our series on spiritual authority in the home, or spiritual authority today, and then for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking, the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual authority in the home, specifically. And uh, this is a very important topic, and uh, I, I really think that God has something for you today. Romans 13 and 1, this has kind of been our running theme, is let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So, this is, it should go without saying that it is a vital topic. I've prefaced every lesson I've done with this statement. That I know that when you deal with this topic, there are a thousand different rabbit holes you could go down, and a million different what-ifs. We cannot deal with all of those. We have 20 minutes and, and, and that 20 minutes per lesson. Okay, that's enough time to cover it from a 10,000 point of view. Um, so if you think of a, of a what if and I didn't cover it, just pray for me and that I'll do better next time. Okay, uh, but consider this, that the first thing that God, that God did after creation, after he created the heaven and the earth and mankind, was he created authority in the earth. From Genesis 1 and verse 26 says this, And God said, this is after he's finished creating everything, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. So it, it kind of worked like this. God created, you know, God had rule over the heavens and he, he ruled from that sphere. But then he created man to rule on the earth. So God ruled in heaven, and his design was that man, Adam specifically, was to rule the earth. And, and as, as he would increase his dominion and, and take rulership over that earth, the earth would, would be populated with a race of people that would be innocent and would, would be free from sin. And that was, that was the plan from the beginning. So it was much like a lease agreement. This is the best illustration that I can think of. If you lease an apartment... You live in that apartment. For all intents and purposes, that's your domain, but you don't own it unless you're buying it. But if you're just leasing it, it's yours. So you can usually, usually, you can paint the walls. Some places will even let you change out the carpet if you want to change out the carpet. You, you take care of it, okay? So, so that's, that's kind of the way it was. We know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but Adam had dominion in it. He had authority. It was his to govern. So Adam's job was to tend and take care of the earth, and his dominion would expand as he increased in population and as he subdued the earth. It was all under his reigning care. Now that is much like today's homes and the authority that God has placed in the home. Is There is a parallel between the dominion that Adam had over the earth and the dominion that men have in their home. Scripture calls this the idea of headship. Okay? 1 Corinthians 11 and 3 says this, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, we're going to get in-depth into this chapter later on uh, next week. But headship is a topic that is not discussed as much as it should be in many churches today, unfortunately. And yet, it is much needed now more than ever before. Years ago, whenever and Pentecostals still do teach that there should be a distinction of dresses among the sexes. And that's a general principle or guidelines that scripture has laid down. And, you know, people used to laugh at Pentecostal women and, and they would say, well, you know, why do you wear pants all, or why don't you wear pants, etc. And, and, and we would say, well, would it be okay for a man to put on a dress? 
and back in the 80s, they would say, oh, that'll never happen. But look what's happening today. Could it be that we've fallen away from God's standards and, and we've gone way into left field because we've mixed these things up? But headship is a topic that's not discussed as much. So in the same sense that Christ is the head of the man, is the same sense that man is the head of the woman. Okay, Headship speaks of a divine order of authority and is based on the order in which God created man. Adam was first formed, then Eve, the Bible says. Okay, So because of that, there's an established order of creation. Now consider this, when headship is out of order in the home, then spiritual chaos results. Just as in the same sense that as, as Adam did not naturally take his authority over the earth, instead he allowed Satan to come in and steal it, when that happened, chaos ensued. There was disease, there was germs, uh, there was death, um, there was chaos in the earth suddenly, and there still is, all because... There is no divine established authority in the earth as it was meant to be, uh, as it was meant to be in the beginning. Genesis two and fifteen says, "And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it." So, what was Adam's original job? It was as a gardener to dress and to keep that garden. So, Adam's job was one of governing and one of tending to the garden and the earth. So, horticulture was the first kind of employment that God used. It's interesting that whenever Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the first person he appeared to was a woman, Mary Magdalene. And you remember what she mistook him for? A gardener. So, Adam was the gardener. The first Adam was the gardener. And the second Adam kind of came as a gardener after he was resurrected. But the garden that he tends to is not the earth. The, the, you know, the garden that he tends to is things that bear thorns and briars and thistles like our hearts and our minds. And so the Spirit's job is to uproot those things. And that's what he does. But we are co-laborers with him. Amen. So, so, so here, here's, here's what happened. Adam governed and Eve birthed. That was how it was supposed to be in the beginning. This was... A tremendous responsibility and privilege that God laid on the woman. Because God allowed the woman to populate the earth. That was, that was a primary responsibility in the beginning. So there's a parallel in the spirit that when men pray in the spirit, things are governed. And when women pray in the spirit, things are birthed. When you look at a history of women in the scriptures, you know, there's women uh, like, um, like Hannah who gave birth to the prophet Samuel. There was, it, it wasn't not a woman who gave birth to the Messiah, uh, Messiah himself. And, and as she did, she gave birth to a whole New Testament or dispensation that would begin with him. So, so, so uh, women, women's job was one of birthing. Now, there is great power when men pray at home and walk in the spirit and abide in their spiritual authority just as there was power and peace and a lack of chaos in the garden in, in the time when Adam walked in his authority. Peace fell under everything that fell under his auspices. So too many men have become disinterested in the things of God, or they don't stay in the Word, or they're into sports and other activities and are not walking in the Spirit as they should. Uh, or it's like leaving your front door wide open in the Spirit where anything can come in. And when men are not praying, and when they're not in the Word, and when they're not living right, then 
things can come in and out because things are not governed in the home in a spiritual sense. So when I say headship, I don't mean me and pull up your band and say, I'm the boss around here. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. Who decides where you're going to go to eat after church or who balances the checkbook has nothing to do with spiritual headship in the home. I'm talking about men that whenever you are walking or living right, then there is a covering of God on your home that cannot be attained in any other way. You, your prayers put a covering in your home. Amen. And, and again, we're going to dive, we're going to delve into that a lot deeper in the next couple weeks. But men, you are the spiritual guardians and protectors of your families. It's been said, as women go, so goes the church, and that's true. But it's equally true, as men go, so goes the home. And as the home goes, so goes the church. As the home goes, so goes the children. Men allow things into their home. You have the authority, men, to get rid of every spirit in your home. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm going to cast it out of my kids and ground. I'm talking about getting on your knees and praying it out. Fasting it out. Battling the devil. Going to war with those things. You have authority in your house. Just as Adam had authority. You've got to walk in it. You've got to live in it. You've got to believe it. Amen. And when you do that, there is a covering that comes on your home. Amen. So it's true that a woman can choose uh, not to walk under the covering of her headship in the home. And when she does, she opens herself up to many kinds of evil spirits and forces. 1 Corinthians 11 even says that a woman does not even have the right to pray or prophesy to God without a covering for her head. Headship symbolizing authority. She must have a spiritual covering for prayer. And it doesn't mean you got to wear a prayer shawl, but there is a specific covering that God talks about. Again, we're going to get into that next week. Wives often claim to be submitted, but in reality, some are not, and they become critical and subversive to that authority in their home. And I would just simply say this, is that rebellion often manifests itself in criticism. He's being a knucklehead. If he wasn't such a knucklehead, I could submit to him. That may be true. You know what? This is also true. I'm pretty sure you married him a knucklehead. He didn't leave his knuckleheadedness at the altar when he said, I do. Good husbands are made, not created. And so, you know, if you expect your husband to just be Mr. Wonderful because you're married to him, newsflash, he's not. Probably you're not either. You're not Mrs. Wonderful all the time. So there needs to be some leeway and some forgiveness in the home. But above all, there has to be submission. And here's why. <coughs> there is power in submission. There is tremendous power in submission. Why are we so afraid of this word submit? Because it was never designed to be a bad word. It's a good word. It's a word that people that are spiritual are not afraid of because you, will, you, you do submit whether you realize it or not. If you're, if you're driving down the road and you're speeding and those red and blue lights are flashing behind you, guess what? You will submit. You may not like whoever is in charge of, of our country, but you will submit. You can say, not my president or not my leader or not my governor or not my mayor, but you know what? He is, and you'll find out he is 
how much he is when the FBI comes knocking at your door or the CIA. So there's power in submission. You don't even have to like those that you're submitted to. But you've got to submit to him still under a, with a good spirit. Because here's why, James 4 and 6. But he gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God resists the proud. And this word resist here means, from the Greek, it means literally sets himself in battle array against him. God literally goes to war with the arrogant in heart. In the same sense that Satan was cast down from his position of authority in a moment of spiritual pride and forever was cast out of heaven and will one day spend eternity in a lake of fire. In that same sense, God goes to war with the spiritually arrogant. And women can tear down the very thing that covers you in your day of battle, and that is your submission to authority. Your anointing depends on your submission. Your victory depends on your submission. Your peace depends on your submission. When women take over the authority in the home and usurp it, she's bringing down an umbrella of spiritual protection that is there and designed by God for her to walk in and walk under and for her prayers to be heard and for God to give her great spiritual power. I am persuaded that there are spiritual forces that work in homes today and children's lives that in some cases are this way because this principle is out of order in many homes. Because when spiritual protections are torn down, it always filters down to the kids. It always will filter down to the kids. Things are more caught in the home than are taught. Attitudes are caught more than words are taught. And they see everything. They see everything that they should not see. And they hear everything that they should not hear. They've got elephant ears. You tell them 78 times to go pick up their room. But you say one thing you shouldn't say. And they remember it for the rest of their life. It's on permanent record in their heart, in their mind. What you said six months ago or ten years ago. I don't know why it works that way. But it, but it just, you know, it is what it is. So things are caught. And so this is something that you cannot fake. Uh, it just has to be right. So what about single mothers? You know, because they don't have a man in their home. Uh, my opinion, if you don't agree with it, whatever, throw it out the window, but pray for me. But this is my opinion. Your head is your pastor and, and who we should all be submitted to anyway. Head, not in the sense of making financial or practical decisions in your home, but in the sense of him being your pastor and there for spiritual protection and as a spiritual guardian. Now, that's true anyways. Okay? So, you know, sometimes, um, you know, people... Whenever this principle gets out of whack, it's, it's literally like rebellion is literally taught or caught by the kids in this attitude. So the other side to this is when men don't assume spiritual authority and don't walk in the spirit. They are giving up ground to the enemy in the same sense that Adam did. Adam was given authority and then lost it and passed it on to the serpent. Allowed the serpent to walk in his authority. That's probably what Satan was after all along. And men, if you do not take spiritual authority, you are giving up territory to the enemy. And remember that when men pray, things are governed. What could be governed in our home if your wife was not the only one praying for it to happen? Men take spiritual authority when they pray, when they stay in the word, when they walk humbly before God and love their wives as their own selves. I want to read this passage from Ephesians 5. 
I'm going to read down for starting at verse 22. This is a rather lengthy passage, so I've omitted a few verses in, in, the, in the respect of time. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not in spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. Now skipping down to verse 32, he says this, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This passage is often used for marriage counseling, and, and it should be. That's okay, because there's a lot of good stuff in this passage. But a careful reading of this passage will render an understanding that Paul is not talking about marriage. Matter of fact, verse 32, he says, I am speaking about Christ and the church. And he's only using marriage as an illustration or an example to show you something about Christ and the church. And he's talking about the relationship that the church has towards Christ and that Christ has towards the church. And to teach that, he set aside or, or to, to illustrate that or to show it forth, he talked about marriage. So marriage in the home is so important that God uses as a type of the relationship between Christ and the church. Here is what I know to be true. Verse 23 and 25 teach that men are a type of Christ. Verse 23 says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. See, he's, he's saying man, head of the woman, uh, church is the head Christ is the head of the church. Okay, so men are a type of Christ. Women are a type of the church. Verse 24, that women ought to submit to their husbands even as the church is submitted to Christ. Now, that may not mean anything to you. You may think, well, okay, well, what's the point? Here's the point. I grew up without a father. Well, I had a father, but he wasn't much of one. I, I guess he did the best he could under the circumstances that he grew up in. And so whenever, whenever people said God is your father, it meant nothing to me. I wasn't bitter to it. I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. So God's an absentee father. I mean, that's, that's what I thought. Because whether we realize it or not, we naturally relate to God in the same way that we relate to our earthly fathers. Because there is a subtle teaching that men are a type of God to the church. We teach our children what God is like. Now think about that. Is that, you know, our earthly father is the only thing that we ever can see in the flesh that we can lean towards God because God has demanded it to be so this way in the spirit. And in the same sense that men are a type of God, women are a type of the church. So it's difficult for those who didn't have a father to see how God could be a father because men are a type of Christ, especially the kids. But in the same breath, women are also a type of the church. And so when a woman is subversive to the authority in the home, children grow up the same way to be that towards the church. Because she's teaching their kids how the church is submitted to Christ. They are not subject to doctrine, to their pastor, to their teachings. They have a tendency towards rebellion. All because the woman literally taught rebellion by her attitude and her spirit. You may not ever have meant to do this. 
but this is absolutely what happens. Mothers teach submission to their children by their spirit, by their attitude, by their actions. They can also teach rebellion by the same way and in the same spirit. What's wrong with many kids today isn't what's wrong with the church, but it's what's wrong in the home. And remember, it was, it was not the woman, as we stand, it was not the woman, ultimately, that was responsible for the fall of man. You know who it was? It was Adam. It was Adam's silence. When the Bible says that he, that he took the fruit and gave to her husband, with her, I always thought, well, Eve was in another place. No, it's not what the Bible says. It says that Eve gave to her husband with her. Adam said nothing, watching this all happen. What are we watching happen in our homes right before our eyes when we have authority in the spirit to pray and to get on these men? I am challenging you today to take this mantle up of walking in the spirit because there is great power and that will filter over into the church when we do. Let's lift our hands to the Lord today and let's just thank God for his word because he is a mighty, mighty God. And he is able to do exceeding and abundantly. Come on, lay your voices out for a moment today. Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> 